Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of This Week in Startups. My friend Dave Samuel is on the program today. He's launching his new fund uh, for Freestyle VC. Freestyle has invested in companies that you may have heard of, Airtable, Patreon, Intercom. And we're going to talk a little bit about how your fund size dictates your strategy and giving feedback to founders, especially the no. And how do you say, no, we're going to pass on your company. Dave had some great thoughts on that. Yeah, it's a good conversation. But first, it is Mm. Monday and there is breaking news. The massive SEC disclosure this morning. That uh, my pal Elon bought 9.2% of Twitter two weeks ago. Uh, Just, you know, he was shopping and he just decided to pick up some milk and some Twitter. So uh, we'll uh, we'll take a look and discuss if he is going to become an activist shareholder or not. I'm just laughing because the or not seems so unlikely. So we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna break all of that down. It's gonna be a great show. So stick with us. This week in startups is brought to you by Masterworks is the first company allowing investors exposure into the blue chip artwork asset class. Twist listeners can skip the thirty thousand person waitlist by going to masterworks.io and using promo code TWIST. Our crowd helps you invest early in pre-IPO companies alongside professional VCs. If you're interested in investing, you can join our crowd for free at OURCROWD.com slash TWIST. And I trust capital. Did you know that you can invest in crypto through your retirement account and still get the same tax advantages as a traditional IRA? Visit itrust.capital slash twist to start investing today. To that news, SEC regulatory filings this morning, Monday, as we're recording this, have revealed that Elon Musk has taken a 9.2% stake in Twitter. The stock is up 28% today. I think that it was determined that that 9.2% stake was worth close to $3 billion. Was that right? Yeah, that's about right. Forty. The yeah. company is at trading at $40 billion today. That's after it went up about 28% or so. So if you take a third off, it was probably trading at around 30. And that's when he bought his 9.2%, which would be 2.7 billion or something in that range. All right, back of the envelope map. Boom. I just <laughs> that was a test. I was just testing Jason and he passed. So Musk evidently purchased the shares on March, March 14th, becoming Twitter's largest individual shareholder. What we now know as a result, result of this disclosure is that recently when he was tweeting, does Twitter need to be better? Is it adhering to free speech principles? Do we need to start a competitor? He had already evidently purchased these shares. Yeah. Uh, so floating a trial balloon, seeing what people thought and uh, so. making the savvy purchase. I think it's a savvy purchase uh, because Twitter has gone sideways in terms of as a stock. And most would argue as a company in terms of growth. The only real growth they had over the past five, six years, I think, was the Trump bump, you know, like every other media or social network. Uh, They got a huge bump when Trump, you know, became president, uh, for better or worse, in my mind, worse, (laughs) much worse. Uh, So maybe a savvy purchase, because I would say, arguably, there's few people who are as good at Twitter as Elon, obviously, through having 70 uh, million members. I think he gets it. And you know, not to make myself anything about the story, but I was literally there when we convinced Elon to open his Twitter account. <laughs> myself and mm-hmm. Billy were encouraging him. Really? So this is all your fault? I, I don't want to, I don't want to, again, make <laughs> myself part of the <laughs> uh, story, but I Elon, mean, I'm just saying. No, Elon if you said, said if you a, drop a bomb like that, 
Elon, <laughs> we're going to hold you responsible. Elon said it on another podcast. He was either on Joe Rogan or something. And he was like, yeah, Bill, or maybe it was when he did Lex Freedom. And he said, oh, yeah, Bill Lee and Jake Howe, you know, were like encouraging me to do it because um, he thought it was kind of silly. Uh, but, you know, he's got a silly sense of humor and he, he's done really. He, he, he really understands the medium. And who better to run it than a power user who is great at entrepreneurship? This is going to make more people want to work at Twitter. More people are going to obviously want to own the stock if Elon's doing it. And if you look at product velocity, I'm just looking at it like unemotionally, just if Benioff, because Mark Benioff, you remember, wanted to buy it as part of Salesforce. He wound up buying mm -hmm. Slack. So if, you know, Bill Gates or Microsoft or who, who's a good buyer for a company? Well, somebody who uses the product and who understands the product is a good person to buy the company because they're going to wake up every day and say, hey, these are the things that I think should be better about the product, right? What and is it that you think that Elon Musk wants as a result of this stake that's going to make Twitter better? Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, I haven't talked to him about it, to be totally honest. Right. Uh, but he, but I mean, based on what he from, said, you know, he said free speech and that it's the de facto town square. So, you know, having more free speech on the platform, I think. What does that mean? Yeah, I don't know. Um, right. You know, it's, I mean, it's I'm a just private saying, like, company. From a purely, I don't know that this is unemotional. If, if it is unemotional, I think it's unemotional on the back end. Right. That there's savviness that is not the same as what's being said on Twitter, which is like, I want this to be more free speech, which I always put quotes mark quote marks around because that's not what free speech is like. Right. From a First Amendment perspective. What? Well, it's what a private company, think? right? We've had this discussion right. a so zillion times. So what is the end it's goal a as a, yeah. I mean, he's, he has successfully made a bunch of money by announcing or having the SEC announce that he's right. So if it's just a pump and a profit no, taking, then pump, boom, I mean, there's that. Better, better to focus on Tesla to, if you want to make money or SpaceX, right? Those are huge. Sure. Those are much better Absolutely. opportunities than a social but network. So then what uh, is the business opportunity here? I think he loves the product. I honestly think that that's what it is. He loves the product and cares about it and thinks it's important in terms of the world and you know as the big communication town square i mean it, and that's what he said right it's important uh and i guess the you know the instances of free speech that are not being allowed on the platform would be the question and i don't know what those are i think probably the free speech around covid comes to mind like you weren't allowed to talk about the masks or masks not working or certain topics i don't think that's and true so, i think you weren't allowed to disseminate disinformation about them at scale well and then you weren't allowed to disseminate disinformation and then but the who disseminated some amount of you know disinformation as fauci said listen i'm not mm. like i'm not a Disin conspiracy theorist but he said like don't buy the masks you know and so i think that well, a lot of people feel like an open discussion rather than the who being the and i'm not saying this is my position necessarily right. but i think there is definitely an important discussion to have around who gets to pick what discussions happen on YouTube or Twitter? And I guess people said during the co during COVID, well, let the WHO decide, right? Like that'll they'll be the benchmark. And like, do we trust the WHO? I don't know. Who are they funded by? You know, are they I mean, giving I the best advice? I have some of those questions. I probably yeah. disagree with others. I guess my fundamental question is: um, Is it okay that Elon Musk maybe just has the money to decide for us? Well, I mean, it's but one of like, is that what's next? Because because again, none of this is about free speech or Zuckerberg, like, as or a Zuckerberg. First Amendment. Right. Or Zuckerberg, exactly. right? Like, so Zuckerberg also gets to make these decisions. And so I think, what's free about that from a, you know, I mean, again, none of this is the First Amendment, to be clear, but I'm just saying yeah. like, well, oh, so I, I, the line we of free speech, should be asking everybody, questions about this. Always, everybody should be asking who controls this stuff before Elon bought 9% of Twitter. And 
you know, Zuckerberg has, you know, the much bigger footprint by a factor of what, 10? I think, you know, that that's the real, if you want to look at who has control over the social media square, Facebook, and that group is 10 times bigger, I think, nine times bigger than Twitter. So, you know, this is an issue that's already existed. And for private companies, they get whoever's running the company and here at 9% ownership, you don't actually run the company. So who gets to decide where the free speech line is, I guess, is ultimately the CEO of the company and the board. And with Facebook, they have board control. So Mark Zuckerberg unilaterally has control. In this case, Mm -hmm. I would say at 9%, you have influence and maybe you'll have one of 12 board seats. I don't know how many board seats Twitter has right now. But that there is a really interesting sort of business uh, aspect to this, which is that I mean, there are lots of interesting business aspects to it, but one of them is that Twitter does not have board control in the same way. And that's been nope. that's why they had to, you know, make those changes with Jack Dorsey because of the activist investors yep. on the board. Like they're very they're almost like a DAO in the sense that they're very vulnerable to a takeover by a major share- shareholder. They don't have super like, uh, you know, the CEO doesn't have like Jack doesn't have super voting majority. Probably better said would be they don't have the supermajority, so you don't have a god king queen over here making all the decisions right uh but it's also not a takeover candidate where you can do a hostile takeover because it's got proper governance so it, i guess the the real uh, the assessment i would make is they have proper governance at twitter where no one board member can have too much influence and i think the influence that the activist investors owned like probably over 10 percent as a group and they just said, we want a full-time CEO. Uh, but that took six years, probably. So maybe, you know, did they then, did they then sell? Cause now, according to Bloomberg, at least Elon Musk is the single largest shareholder, but maybe yeah. that is not what, not counting like a group of activists, investors, Elliott management owned four to 5%. Evidently, right. And then, and then they also had, yeah, but they had also gotten other one or 2% holders to join their voting block, which is, you know, how proper governance works actually at mm-hmm. its best is you get groups of people saying, hey, this thing is underperforming. We'll take a 4% stake and then try to convince the 1% to 4% stakeholders to join our vision of what the company should be and how it should be run. Like maybe this thing should have a full-time CEO, which I think was their their position. And they, and they yeah. eventually won that. But again, it took five, six years. And Jack, they actually didn't vote Jack out. He resigned. So they kind of forced his hand. And I think made it uncomfortable for him. So that just shows how proper governance works. It t- like the United States governance, it takes time and it's messy. Largest shareholder is an interesting headline. Minor shareholder is the reality here. Like very minor shareholder mm-hmm. with no yeah. super voting. Like you have 9% of the votes. Like, yeah, I, I, it's not like Elon could come in and say like, give us an edit button. <laughs> I think he can be like, maybe I'll buy more. Like maybe I guess that could be the you know the future of it so who knows the stock market is a little crazy right now some think the ipo window is closing while others think it's a great time to invest opinions are all over the place well now you can diversify with an asset that is historically uncorrelated with the stock market of course i'm talking about blue chip art I know what you're saying, Jacob, how am I supposed to buy a multi-million dollar painting if I'm not rich? Well, let me tell you a little bit about Masterworks. This is a brilliant company. I, I know the founder. I tried to invest in it. <laughs> well, Masterworks is an investment platform that securitizes multi-million dollar paintings and then sells them to any investor and you can buy shares in the painting. So according to Masterworks research over the last 25 years, returns from contemporary art have outpaced the S&P by 164%. 
When I wanted to add a Basquiat to my portfolio, did I go buy one at an auction? Of course not. I don't know what I'm doing. I just bought some shares in Masterworks. And it's a true story. I own a piece of a Basquiat. And I've always loved that artist's work. And now I have my own little piece. So it's kind of fun. And I think it's going to be a great investment. So if you want to join more than 360,000 active members, you can get priority access and skip the waitlist at masterworks.io slash twist. That's right. Cut the line at masterworks.io slash twist today. And make sure you read all the important Reg A disclosures at masterworks.io slash CD. But I I do think it's great that somebody cares enough, independent of me being friends with E, I think it's great that, you know, an influential person cares so much about a product or a platform to invest in it, right? Like, I'd like to see other people do this. Like, what if Bill Gates really liked something and he... I really would not like to see other people (laughs) do this. No, because the number of people who can do this is vanishingly small. So, like, if you... I mean, you're assuming that he's doing this because he loves it. I mean, that is in all likelihood the reason. He he does love it. right? I don't know. But what if he doesn't love it? What if it's like a Peter Thiel move here? Like, I'm just going to come because what, at 9%, what, Thiel, might, what, what is the Peter Thiel move? Like a Gawker move. I don't, uh, well, I don't like yeah. how this product yeah. has treated me. I'm, I don't like how it's treated my friends. I'm yeah. not happy with, you know, what I perceive to be censorship of these yeah. opinions and feelings and thoughts and whatever. So yeah. I'm going to come in here with 9.2% and I may not be able to demand an edit button, but I can certainly commit a lot of sabotage. Yeah, no, I don't think that's what, I don't think people would put $3 billion on the line to sabotage something. I think it's more enthusiasm for the product and thinking it's an important thing so i mean the, the devil's in the details we'll see what happens over we, the coming we'll, years. we won't know until we're, we're we know. mind reading exactly. now i mean right. i think you know the peter Thiel story was one of like being outed in vengeance uh for being outed and you know having and shut it, and then shutting down free speech as a result so well, yeah, dusty green puts it the right way i we, think in the chat which is is this a hostile takeover or a liberation <laughs> and i guess we will not know until we know i mean it's uh, twitter is sideways uh and so having elon involved i think you know, it, if he does stay, if he if he does stay involved and engage, I think it would. Is make it the sideways? Product. It's been sideways in terms of like pro. I mean, they they have increased the product velocity, but as a company, they haven't grown. It's been very modest growth when compared to yes. contemporaries. They've always trailed all other internet companies. I think they're trading still at a fraction of their peak valuation. I think they probably hit fifty, sixty, seventy billion at some point. I'm trying to remember what the peak was. So, just as a business. It's been a slow growth. I mean, it hasn't declined, which is good. Mm-hmm. Um, but it certainly hasn't grown or they haven't solved like the anonymous problem and the bots problem. So I think there's like a lot of simple problems they haven't been able to get their hands around. Like, why can't they handle bots and these anonymous accounts and harassment? They should be able to do better on that, I think. Because every time they try to handle it, someone says they're suppressing free speech. I don't know. Well, I mean, I think the I mean, bots, there are the a lot of issues with Twitter. I yeah. think we have seen more product velocity since Jack Dorsey left. Like, it's possible that it could have been the split focus CEO all this time. We don't know. Um, I mean, I, I, mean yeah. I think it's, I think all of those things are true. It's a little strong to say that it's sideways as a business uh, when we have seen spaces, we have seen Twitter blue. Like, there has been innovation. Yeah. The last year, yeah, the last the last year has year. been, yeah, the last year has been great. They have, seems like the only thing people are really mad about is like booting Trump. And I mean, the ongoing, I mean, to be fair, anonymous harassment the trolling the bots like it all really it really is issues that are legitimate and drive people away from the platform all kinds of people away from the platform that's true content moderation is really hard i think the bot issue is because everybody who's been ceo is scared to block the bots because it would make growth look yes stunted and so you know i think that's an 
that's something where a board member who is a patient board member who says, yeah, you know, I know we're going to take a short term hit because of bots going away and it will look like growth is muted, but it's not real growth anyway. So let's just, you know, yep. uh, pause here. Yep. So yeah, Twitter's revenue, uh, that was an interesting chart. Twitter's revenue has, you know, grown slowly, um, you know, since, you know, in the shadow of Facebook's, um, you know, it, it, it that may not look slow, but if you were to put that growth uh, next to Facebook's, it would be dwarfed uh, or yeah. Google's. And then, you know, if you had user growth up there, um, it's been slow and steady. Uh, and then who knows what the bot problem is. So um, yeah. I don't think it has much yeah. to do with Trump. I mean, I always felt, I don't know how you feel about Trump, but like, you know, if he was going to, I felt like Trump as the president needed to be allowed to be on social media. And then when he did January 6th, it was acute and there was a chance that people could get hurt. So he kind of gave them the golden opportunity to take him off the platform. And then for what period of time, you know, like I think Facebook gave it to their board, their outside board to make a ruling. And I think the mm -hmm. outside board kicked it back to them. So like, Hold up, yeah, so many I, topics. I, I, I think are wrapped up I in think, this one topic. I, I so think Trump's many. the worst human being on the planet. Like yeah. I've been very clear, yeah. like this person's a sociopath. He would give himself a third, you know, he, he would become the God King. And he, he literally tried January 6th to overturn an election. I believe all that is true. Sorry if you don't. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, there is a reasonable amount of time to give somebody a suspension on these things and then let them back on and then ban them again. I, I, I think that's probably where I would have landed, like a two-year ban, a four-year ban, something like that. But then if he was, if he did actually, if January 6th commission finds out he did incite the violence, then I think mm -hmm. you could make it permanent, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but that's I mean, the hardest are, issue in the world. To, to it's determine. the hardest issue in the world, like, it, yeah. it, it, unquestionably. Like, I agree with everything you said. It's still the hardest issue in the world, because how do you ever decide that? And how do you, and, and do you want a private company to decide, okay, the danger's over now, right? Like, no, no, yeah. no, America's doing fine. These divisions aren't continuing. We're not seeing a massive increasing partisan divide. It's totally a good time to let Trump back on. Like, those are not, there are a lot of questions about whether those should be the call. Yeah. And people are making a, a CEO big, of a private company to make. Uh, uh, you know, people, are, people are making a big jump that this has something to do with Trump. I don't think it does at all. Uh, I don't think this is like buy this and put Trump back on. I don't think that mm, yeah, there's some like direct yeah. line here. I think people are. Uh, I just think fundamentally, like, I don't like the idea that somebody can come in at, at, that that a small, small group of people with a, an extreme point of view can come in and be like, I don't like how this business is running, right? Like, I don't like the fact that the SEC has to review my tweets. I don't like the fact that I can't, that people can't just spread all the disinformation they want. So I'm going to buy a massive stake and and who knows what, like a minor stake, yeah, a uh, massive stake on a relative level. I mean, he's got a much bigger stake in the other companies, so. I mean, uh, in terms of public, in terms of influence, it's going to have minor influence at this level. I think there it's is just, no universe in which Elon Musk has minor influence on anything. Well, I mean, it does have a lot of fans, like, 70 million followers. But I'm just saying <laughs> on, a, on a governance basis, mm -hmm. just the reality is 9% does not mean you get to pick what happens, right? It means, sure, it, sure. It, it means like if even if you wanted to remove the CEO and you would have to build a block and it would take years. So it's i think people are probably overestimating exactly how much control i mean influence is different i do agree with that yeah yeah um, i'm just talking about influence i mean the thing about this whole free speech issue i don't know how you feel about this as somebody I, we're both liberals i think i'm some people say i'm libertarian i i try not to define myself i try to be common sense but i guess i'm somewhere between moderate and libertarian um and you're definitely uh, uh more liberal than i am but it's only slightly we used to I'm be the party of free <laughs> you you registered independent okay great yeah, yeah so i mean anyway used, yes but the two the, the 
I, I, I'm trying to remember, but freedom of speech uh, was a liberal tenant, and the Republicans were the ones complaining about it all the time. Even... And and then now it's like, wait a second. Now the liberals are the elites, and they're anti-free speech, yeah. and the Republicans are pro-speech speech, and they're the party of the working class. But like not really. What is happening? Right. It, it's it's I, 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 what is happening to the parties that we they don't stand for what they were stood for just 10 years ago yeah but should everybody should be for freedom of speech and then there should be ramifications you know in these sections and these online platforms like i, I you know some people can run them as walled gardens and with real names i, I chose real names for inside.com's new social mm -hmm. network because mm -hmm. i was just like i don't want to deal with spam so i'll have less members less content but better signal you have to use your real name period yeah you know and it's like will it work i mean it worked for linkedin and facebook and there might yeah. ha there might be less engagement. I mean, you know, I think some of this is about growth hacking too, and cheap engagement, and it's not about free about speech at all. Exactly. I don't know. It's just it's a mess. Hey, it's time for another R Crowd deal of the week. Right now, you can join R Crowd's investment in Ciabra. According to the deal memo, Ciabra's AI powered SaaS platform analyzes billions of online conversations to help companies gain authentic consumer insights while fighting disinformation in real time. Ciabra's customers include global media corporations, consumer brands, and high-level government agencies, according to their deal memo. And you can invest in Ciabra at rcrowd.com slash twist today. All over the world, companies like Ciabra are innovating and driving returns for investors. And rcrowd analyzes many of these companies. And they select the ones with the greatest growth potential, and they bring them to you. They invest from personalized medicine to cybersecurity to open source intelligence, which according to rcrowd is a multi-billion dollar market. Our crowd identifies innovators so you can invest when growth potential is greatest and that's early. So here's your call to action. If you are an accredited investor, you can join our crowd for free at OURCROWD.com slash twist and review all the current deals. That's OURCROWD.com slash twist to sign up for free and read the deal memos for free. And you'll get really smart by reading those deal memos. Trust me. It's like well, we're, we're now into a potentially nine hour discussion and we have... Mm. <laughs> A guest wait. We have a, okay, a wonderful guest interview. Right, a guest waiting in real life, and also a wonderful interview to get to uh, Dave Samuel, who just raised uh, 130 million dollars for Freestyle Fund Six. Coming up next. Yeah, add an edit button, Elon. Can we get the edit <laughs> also, button in Twitter? We would like an edit also, button. Can I get the edit button? <laughs> just show the previous version of the tweet. As long as you're at it, just give me an edit button. Can I get an edit button? I'm paying for Blue. Just do, you play for, do you play for Twitter Blue or no? No, you not yet. I keep meaning to sign up, and then I never have time. Yeah, there's no, there's no real compelling reason to do it other than right. to sort your buttons at the bottom. Like this is where yeah. like, you know, like Elon's product brain is going to really help. Like he might actually have some product suggestions that <laughs> might actually be good. You I know? mean, I'm endlessly curious. Endlessly be, curious like, to see how the simulation is still happening. It's the definitely a simulation. Ongoing. It's still unfolding. Sim <laughs> it's for sure. It's a simulation. All right, let's <laughs> enjoy the Dave Samuel interview. Well, this is, again, I don't like to talk about uh, my friends too much on the program, but we had no choice in this case to it's going to be entertaining at the very least. <laughs> yes, you want the line it. today on the program, Molly, we're having one of my older friends in the industry, uh, co founder and general partner of Freestyle VC. Dave Samuel is with us again. It's his sixth appearance here on twist. This includes an interview I did with him years ago. Uh, and uh, he's helped me on four pitch sessions giving great feedback to entrepreneurs, you can watch his first appearance episode 768 back in 2017 and he's here today 
uh, on the um, announcement that Freestyle has closed their sixth fund. Welcome back to the program, Dave. Thank you. Thanks, Jason. You guys are uh, so organized. So Dave, we're pretty organized. Uh, this is your sixth fund. Uh, things have gone great for Freestyle. Everybody knows you were an entrepreneur and you sold your music startup to AOL back in the day. Chamath Polyhapatia, my bestie, worked for you. Uh, I think <laughs> yes. for a moment in time. How was so that? I just want to start with that for a moment. Uh, tell me your first, the first time you remember meeting Chamath and hiring him for his job working for you in BD, I believe. Yes, it was BD. Spinner. It was still called Spinner at the time, right? Spinner. Or and I don't know if you guys remember Winamp. And Winamp. <gasps> yes, both. of course. Yes. yes. Very cool. So one of the first wow. MP3 players founded by Justin, a 19-year-old kid. Hmm. Uh, so Flashback. he was BD for both. You know, honestly, my memory with Chamath was actually at the felt playing poker with him. And just, you know, I actually remember doing that more than necessarily business. And wait, wait. You in Dallas or no, well, playing poker actually at my house in 2000, ah. in the year 2000. And so that was really my first memory that I really have. Yes, we hired him, but I don't, you know, I don't exactly remember all the business things, but I do remember his aggressiveness at the table. And I think, hmm, Jason, huh. you know that. Yeah, and, still very you know, aggressive it was He was super aggressive back when he didn't have a lot of money. And now... Or no money. He has a he's lot of money. Okay. And he's yeah. still aggressive. <laughs> so, yeah, well, maybe there's some you know, correlation there. I think so. <laughs> wow, Winamp. So, yeah, Winamp yeah, is pretty I'm just pretty sitting crazy. on that one like, damn, it's been a long ride. It's been a long yeah. ride. Um, I, you know, I think the thing that's notable is you've done extremely well for yourself, and it would be very easy for you to retire uh, or maybe, you know, hand off the firm, but you're incredibly hands-on. And uh, with Jenny, your partner, uh, you have chosen to raise the similar size fund as you've done previously and stick to your knitting. Talk to me about your intentionality of raising this specific size fund. I believe it was 130 million. Yeah. And why you think it's important to have a thesis on the amount of money you raise and the size of your fund. Great question. Um, I first go with, I think both you and I love startups. And so it's just what, what I love doing. And so when you go back to 2010, when um, we were raising fund one, there was a lot of education about what is a seed fund. They used to actually be called micro funds back in the day. And our pitch deck actually had to educate LPs about it because they were familiar with the 300 to $750 million Sandhill Road funds. And so we had a lot of education. And now you jump forward to, to fund six, we still like the ability to have large multiples on the smaller funds. And so also the benefit of having a smaller fund is we work with younger startups, which is Jason, I, that's what you do with launch. I mean, you work right at the beginning and that's, I think, you know, that's where I love to play. If it was all about money, I think, as you know, I, we would raise a much larger fund. We'd have much larger uh, management fees, et cetera. But Jenny and I love playing in the seed vertical. And I'll just say mm -hmm. one other thing, which you mentioned about is every time you raise a fund, you're kind of, you know, signing up for a seven to 10 year run. And so Jenny and I each time kind of have like, you know, our wedding vows, just saying, you know what? Okay, here we go. 
you know, we, we sit down and make sure we're ready to sign up for another seven years. And I love what I do. Well, you know, it's interesting because even the huge funds we're now seeing find more and more and more and more ways to go earlier. Like, do you feel like that thesis just gets validated over and over, not only because it's really fun, like you said, but also because it is sort of maybe where the money is? I do. You know, definitely we're seeing, um, you know, the large funds raise seed funds. Uh, Honestly, my gut is that like their main focus is being able to back the truck up and put in tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions. And so my gut is they don't really have the infrastructure or the experience to focus on seed. So, you know, the last 12 years, I've focused on putting money in when it's a team of two to five, maybe two to 10 people. And that's where my experience has been for the last 12 years. And even as Jason said, we were both fortunate to sell our kind of our first companies to AOL. Yeah. And, uh, and then I actually started a company called Crackle that we sold to Sony. And so, you know, I think we like being um, entrepreneurs turn investors. And I think that brings a lot to the table. Yeah. And it, the larger funds creating seed funds are pursuing a strategy, I think, this is what I'm seeing in the market, where they'll participate in a seed round, but they might not participate in the company uh, mentoring and the management of it. So sure, they've got this, you know, 100 million or $500 million fund for seed, and they're putting in 500 k or 1k checks but then they're going to somebody like dave or us and saying hey you guys join the board we're not taking board seats right we don't we don't have the time to do this it's an option where they can buy three percent five percent of the company and then later on try to put in 20 million and get to 10 percent ownership so i think it's a little bit of that and in in a way that's not a bad thing because a lot of times the rounds could use an incremental 500k or million dollar check correct dave Yes. Yeah. I mean, the other thing is, Jason, as you think about the Sequoia Scout Fund, I mean, this was going way back. It's like getting a foot in the door and getting the information early on. You know, I think it, I believe that to be a a valid, um, you know, really valid decision. Listen, pretty much everybody knows someone who has invested in crypto at this point, and lots of people have exposures to different tokens themselves. But did you know? You can now invest in crypto through your retirement account. That's right. With iTrust Capital, you can buy and sell cryptocurrencies from a crypto IRA. This means you get the same tax advantages as a traditional IRA. iTrust Capital has over two dozen of the most popular cryptocurrencies for you to invest in. And unlike the stock market, you can buy and sell 24 hours a day if you like. The iTrust Capital platform is easy to use, and it only takes a few minutes to create your account. Setting up an IRA is free and iTrust fees are low. And you get a free account, and it's only a 1% fee per crypto transaction. So visit itrust.capital slash twist to start investing today. That's itrust, I-T-R-U-S-T, dot capital slash twist. Yes, there's a dot capital. It's like there's a dot com. itrust.capital slash twist. Disclosure, taxes and conditions may apply, fees apply. Cryptocurrencies are a speculative investment with risk of loss. iTrust Capital, Inc., does not provide legal investment or tax advice. Consult with a qualified legal investment or tax professional. Tell me, you know, if you're looking at what happened over the last five years where valuations went crazy, governance went away, perhaps some discipline on the part of capital allocators, and even maybe some discipline on the part of founders was uh, less emphasized. 
where are we today? And what lessons do you have from this crazy five year bull? It was let's face it, it was a bull run since 2008. So we're actually looking at a bull run that lasted 13 years and is now over for tech. So the bull run for tech lasted 13 years, that was an incredible run. But what lessons do you have for other capital allocators and that you've reminded yourself of? And then what do you have for the people on the other side of the table, the founders who maybe are now getting whipsawed? Hey, spend money as fast as you can. The next round will raise it in six to 12 months. And every round, it gets easier to raise at a higher valuation. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see. Well, first, I'll just talk about kind of the seed market. So, um, you know, 10 years, we called it seed. And then, you know, the seed, as you know, is kind of moved up to really the two to $5 million raise. And now you have the notion of a pre-seed. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's just in my, in, in my view, just kind of different words of kind of, you know, similar structures. And I think probably the biggest thing that we give advice to our portfolio companies is let's not get over our skis. And so as you talk about, there's a lot of late stage capital that is coming into the space. I think, you know, Tiger Global has been understandably like seemingly the fastest to put money to work. And it really is amazing the machine that they've put together. And I think that, you know, the thing that we suggest to our founders is let's just be thoughtful about the amount of capital that you're bringing in and what's the, you know, the, the preference stack that you're adding to, uh, you know, to the calculation and just be, you know, be careful about that. The other thing that I'll say, which is beneficial for the early stage investors and the founders is your ability to take money off the table. And this didn't exist. This did not exist 10 years ago. But I think you're probably familiar with Jason, um, that founders, many times, sometimes at the A, many times at the B or the C are able to take some money off the table. And I think that's a very uh, great thing. The main you're talking about, just to, just to clarify for our audience, you're talking about sorry. their ability to sell some shares privately, realize some liquidity, and then keep rolling. Yes. And the yep. benefit for everybody is that the entrepreneur is like, okay, I can buy a house. I've got like, you know, I've got something steady and then you can go, you know, you can go for the, the home run. And so also for seed funds, we're also able, because we've been in the company for a long time, we're able to take some money off the table. So I think that's, you know, a beneficial um, structure. I think, yes, last year was dizzying the, the pace, a pitch would come in. And if you didn't turn around within like 72 hours, it was like, you know, the deal was gone. And so thankfully, come this last quarter, I think probably the biggest thing that Jenny and I have enjoyed is it's just kind of slowed down slightly. Actually, it's probably so down, honestly, probably by maybe, yeah, I'll go with significantly. <laughs> two so weeks, four weeks nice. to close around. No, it's, a, it really, it's back it's, to a it's, month it's, to close around. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's super nice because it was at a fevered pitch. And when you make, you, it's difficult to make decisions that quick because of timing. So, you know, valuations have definitely crept up, but the biggest challenge for the last year was like, you hear the pitch and you've got to get back super fast. And it's just difficult to do due diligence that fast. Mm. Are you worried about uh, follow on? Like, are you worried about these seed companies and what they're going to mature into in terms of mid state? I mean, it sort of feels like for one thing, it feels like there's a barbell in investing. It's either seed or like massive funds who just have to park a ton of capital. Maybe that's just in the climate space. 
because that's a conversation I've been having a lot lately. Um, but I wonder what you're starting to think about follow on, even if you yourself are being more responsible in, in how you're deploying at this early stage. I, you know, I think one of the things that Freestyle has been very good at is helping um, our founders go from the seed to the A. And so, you know, obviously each stage is important, but getting, you know, getting that seed to the A is understandably important for us um, and important for the startup. Uh, and so, um, my comments about that are just to talk about freestyle structure. We do about a deal a month. We're going to lead the lead or co-lead the seed. And our focus is really during the first year life cycle of the company. And then the important thing is basically, of course, finding the, the Series A investor. We have the ability to continue to pro, take pro rata and invest in that company, but it, we call it the baton handoff. So our ability to hand the baton to the next Series A investor is an important, uh, you know, is an important stage. And so um, we've actually, I'll just talk about two deals um, that kind of tie back with SAR from CRV. I don't know if SAR has been on here, but if yeah, he's sure. not, you should, you should have him. He has them. been on, sure. Um, and so, Wait, who, who you know, is he and what is CRV? I'm sorry. Uh, Charles River Ventures, be- Boston-based firm yeah. that now is based out here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and SAR Gurr is a VC who works there. Gotcha. Who yeah, okay. had, uh, yeah, I think he well, toiled of, away our- for a while and then he hit, uh, he hit something. It just took him a little while. What was the big win for him? I forgot. Now it will come to me. Well, uh, well, so our two, two of our biggest unrealized gains are Airtable and Patreon. And mm-hmm. we, um, basically hand, you know, handed the baton, uh, I, you know, obviously at each of those companies, Jack is the CEO of Patreon and Howie is the CEO of Airtable. I mean, obviously they're the ones running it, but we were, um, you know, really helpful of handing that baton to the next stage investor. And in this case, you know, the entry into CRV was, uh, was SAR and we've just been really lucky with that. Uh, let's talk, I, I want to double click on the secondary options. One thing I'm seeing is maybe some firms using uh, an offer of secondary, or maybe even topping off the founders with extra shares as a way to win a deal. This yes. to me seems like a bribe and seems like a really bad idea. We are seeing it more and more. What are your thoughts on when a VC says, you know what, I'm going to beat these other two VCs and I'm not going to do it based on my ability to help the company. I'm going to just offer to give each of the founders 5% more of the cap table you know, and it's going to happen before my money gets put in. So I don't get it back to buy it. And they'll be able to take 5 million off the table each. Should these things be allowed to be combined? Or should for hygiene purposes, maybe they be done after the investment so that everybody who's investing is investing in a, in a pretty uh, pure way? What are your thoughts on this? You know, great question, Jason, I guess, my advice to any entrepreneur raising capital is it really is about the person that is most likely joining your board. And I think, as, as you know, as you guys interview folks to, to join Launch, the way I look at a deal is 50% of the success of a deal is the team. And 30% is the size of the market. It's got to be a big market, as, as you guys know. And then 20% is actually the product that they're showing today. And the reason why the team is so important is as you know, like, you know, you start this way, your bourbon, which was before Instagram. And then, you know, Kevin, like, was like, we'll do Instagram. What was the one before Twitter? 
the podcast one. Oh, Odeo. Um, yeah. You know, Odeo. Odeo. And then, you know, Twitter. And so, yeah. um, sorry for the barking dog. It's okay. Um, but, uh, we all have them. And so, so basically many times, and even I was talking to an entrepreneur last night, I'm like, Mike, I think that in this instance, I really want you to think about taking the lower valuation for the board member that's going to join. And so that's my advice. Like it, it's really like it comes down to the person joining the board. And so, yes, we have seen the tactic of somebody saying, Hey, you know, we'll buy, we'll buy some common from you. And as I said, like I've actually seen it in the A, which was early. Um, but in this case, the person joining the board was chosen. And so I just go back to people, I think. And I, and I think that, you know, that's, as I said, when we're interviewing and hearing a pitch, it's really like, okay, who is the CEO who's going to lead this? Because you're going to start this way and then you know you're going to have to navigate. And so that's how we, you know, that's how we think about it. Don't panic at a pivot. Love it. Mm. Yeah. What, do, would you say that Freestyle has a, a thesis? I mean, I'm looking at some of these big names from your portfolio. And like you said, there's Airtable and Patreon, Snapdocs, Intercom, Loop, Steezy. Like, it feels like you are not solely SaaS. You are, in fact, freestyling. Ha ha. <laughs> yeah. I bet. You're, that, you, are, you are correct. Um, I would it's say right it's there in the name. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think it's one of the benefits of being early. Um, so when you, you know, you go back to 2010, you know, dating myself, uh, they were really just like, you know, first round capital baseline. You had, you know, soft tech, which became uncork. You had, um, Mike Maples, Floodgate. I mean, there were just a few first funds that, you know, yeah, first round capital. Um, and so, um, I think that we've been fortunate to be around for a while and that just, the word generalist is not like a really nice term, but honestly, like we're going to hear different pitches. And the way that I like to think about it is, can I personally be excited about being like, you know, kind of a co-founder of this company? And so, you know, that's kind of how I think about it. So like, um, you know, Jason and I did quite a unique deal called Steezy. And that's, a, you know, mm -hmm. a learn to dance platform and i've got four girls that are like all teenagers now and they're tiktoking and you know and i'm like you know what i think that building a platform that's unique to online dance is kind of interesting and so um you know that's kind of how we think about it i guess one other kind of important thing as we look at statistics of us being around for a while is you know i've been in tech dating myself since 95 that's when i launched spinner and so I, you know, I've just similar to Jason have like a large network in tech and 80% of our deal flow comes in from friends within the industry. So we've invested in 140 CEOs over the last 12 years. We get a lot of deal flow there. And then of course the venture capital firms and just a lot of people that I know. And so, you know, I think that's a great ecosystem to have a deal come in. And this goes back to, it's like a reference. So somebody who's going to introduce me to the deal like they know that they're kind of kind of vouching for this company and so that's understandably like a leg up and i think as jason have probably mentioned many times to entrepreneurs it's like if you cannot come in the front door if you can come in the side door with like hey you should you know really listen to this understandably that's a you know a super big leg up yeah i mean the the warm introduction 
um, is everything in our industry. And I think that's why curating a relationship and building a relationship with your existing investors is so critical. If you're keeping your existing investors up to date, uh, and you're engaging them about the challenges of the business, it's going to be easier for me to say to you, hey, here's Steezy, it's interesting, or for you to say, hey, take a look at this company, because we've built a level of trust with the founder. And we're going to introduce the founder to somebody who, you know, they're going to, I don't know, uh, just do a great job representing you as an investor. It's, let's talk about the difficult part of the job saying no. How have you, uh, and you got a big heart, uh, you know, I know that uh, from just knowing you personally for two decades, and you work really hard. How do you deal with the fact that most startups do in fact fail? And that as a seed fund, you do not have the ability to fund everybody forever. And, you know, when people do fail, they, the gut reaction is to go to their existing investors and saying, Hey, we didn't get it Keep done. It. Can, can you give me another six months? Can you give me another 12 months? I, I need your help. How do you deal with that very difficult, um, you know, dynamic and, and part of the job? When I started this, um, well, first of all, I think as an entrepreneur, in many instances, you're a yes person. I mean, you are, you, you know, getting out there, um, doing something new. And you, in many instances, I consider a yes person. And so when I started Venture, the way I actually started my fund was uh, Josh and I started it and we basically decided to put um, 100K into 20 deals. And so this was before, like we were investing as freestyle, but we only had our own capital. And um, we actually got this playbook from Saka from, um, uh, anyway, his, lowercase, lowercase, sorry, sorry, his first fund, which was only 6 million. He um, took a Twitter and a few unrealized gains and actually put it into that fund. And so Josh and I did the same thing. So basically we took our 20 deals, put it in and, and on day one, our LP has already had a markup. But the reason mm-hmm. why I talk about before we started the fund is we wanted to see, do we feel like we're good at it? And the biggest one is that question that you just said, Jason, is how do we feel comfortable saying no? And mm-hmm. so, you know, yes, um, it was difficult making that change. And I think the main thing I do every time I say no is I talk a little bit about my own experience. So when I was raising capital for Spinner, I had 40 no's. And Spinner, as Jason said, was the first internet radio platform. And many of the VCs were like, why would I ever listen to music via the computer? Now, this was mm-hmm. back when there was a 14.4 modem. <laughs> so, I yeah. mean... It was early, but, you know, people didn't see it. And actually, the first person to invest in me was very visionary. And that visionary happens to be Chris Anderson, the CEO of TED. And so, he gave, huh. me, 700, he gave me 750K in 1997. Wow. And that actually turned into $20 million for him. But uh, anyway, I just bring this up that I basically tell entrepreneurs, guess what? I had to knock on 40 doors to get the one yes. And I know Jason talks about that within launch. And so it's top of funnel. And the only additional thing that I try to do is give feedback to the entrepreneur. So some instances, I just say, you know what? This is a gut reaction and it's just not a match for me. In other instances, I say, you know what? I'm concerned that this is a feature, not a product, thus not a Mm -hmm. company. Maybe it's like, you know what? I'm concerned about the TAM. And so... You know, and so I basically, I attempt when I say no to give them feedback. 
And so well, that's, now, isn't you know, giving feedback, though, the chance that you're going to hurt their feelings, and then they'll hold it against you for the next round. There's a lot of people whose philosophy in our business is sugarcoat everything. Everybody's a unique snowflake in the world, everybody gets a participation trophy. And there's no upside for you to tell them the truth. Hey, I think you got a feature, not a not a company here, you need to get a, a more fully featured product. Now the person's like, well, Dave's being a jerk or Dave hurt my feelings. And then, hey, they break out, they figure it out, they pivot from Odeo to Twitter, or bourbon to Instagram. And now you're the guy who, you know, wasn't nice to them, and they get revenge on you by not letting you in the next round. Some people do think like that. I, yeah, I actually I don't think it's not nice. Like I will, I will say that, like, one of the biggest things that most entrepreneurs appreciate is when I say no, I say it super fast. And mm -hmm. basically, sometimes mm -hmm. I feel bad, but I basically do it on the 30-minute intro call. And many times we're like, you know what, Dave? Thank you for being quick with your decision. Because in many instances, and happened with me raising capital, is you're like, you'd pitch, and then you kind of wouldn't hear anything. <laughs> and mm. there was no closure. And I think, as you know, like, I don't like to use the word lemmings, but basically many VCs are lemmings that are like, okay, I've heard the pitch. I'm kind of in line, but I'm not going to do anything until somebody else does something. Mm -hmm. And so I think the ability to make a decision fast, I think is, is something that many entrepreneurs like Dave, thank you being efficient with our time, your time. Thank you for the quick decision. So that's how I think about Fantastic. it. Fantastic. I wonder right, well, listen, it, to on. how you're, so there's the saying no. And then there's also, I wonder how you approach an entrepreneur when you think that there's a good idea there but for example especially at our stage and right now the way the market's been how do you tell somebody like you're raising too much money right now you know this is too much money too soon your business isn't there yet like do you feel like it's your job to sort of say let's rethink this strategy so that we can get in or do you say all right this is enough red flag i'm moving on i think for the you know for the size of the raise I mean, the way, the main way I like to think about it is I want to make sure we get 18 months of runway. And so, and so it's really just trying to figure out what is 18 months of runway. And so, um, the way I s kind of talk about a seed fund is I want to be able to confirm that we're able to create a small fire. We're able to create a small uh, flywheel that gets going and demonstrating, you know, the product working, retention, and then Really, how does marketing work? The main thing is basically having a small fire and then you raise your series A and you're able to make that fire bigger. In many instances, understandably from hiring um, more employees, but also getting marketing dollars to work. Uh, and so, you know, when a deal comes to us, I always say, you know, what's your target raise? And even if somebody says they want to raise six, I'll still hear this, you know, hear the story. And basically, um, uh, you know, in most instances say, hey, you know, I really like this, but I think you should raise less and, mm -hmm. you know, and then basically say, you know, this is the pitch. And so, and this goes back to what I said earlier, like, it's not all about the money. It's really about the money and the help that you're getting. And so beating my own drum, I feel good about the help that I'm giving people. And so in many instances, I know that my capital is... Uh, you know, we're coming in at a lower valuation than other firms. Hmm. Uh, well, listen, Dave, continued success. What's the best way for a founder who wants to pitch you uh, other than, you know, finding an intermediary to get your attention, you know, in that cold email, 
or the sliding into the DMs or replying to you on Twitter, what grabs your attention specifically and makes you want to double click, triple click, and then eventually, you know, hit the reply key? So I would say really two things. Um, one is, uh, I, you know, I think it's beneficial. It's definitely beneficial that there's a little bit of a personalization at the top that the entrepreneur has done work and says, oh, I see, yeah, you know, Airtable or the other, you know, intercom and or other things. And so having some personalization demonstrating that the entrepreneur did work versus like emailing a blast of 100 VCs. And then the second one is you really need to have the elevator pitch together. And so if mm-hmm. I get like, if I get like an email that has like three pages, honestly, I, I'm not going to read it. Like yeah. I am too busy. I've got too many things coming in. And so you really need to be able to explain what you're doing within a few sentences. And so like don't two. send me like, yeah, really like, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, Jason, you're super good at that. And it's a focus that you have with your launch um, accelerator program. And so it's like that. And then additionally, I do think it's important to, uh, a, you know, have a pitch deck as part of it. Really, yeah. some people are like concerned about maybe like, um, I mean, there used to be this notion of like signing an NDA, like that was old yeah. school, you know, a non-disclosure agreement. Understandably, that doesn't exist anymore. And like, um, I think it's important to have an elevator pitch and then also attach the deck because I'm going to do one too. If I, I'm like, you know what, this is interesting, then I will look at the deck. And then I can make a quick decision on whether to schedule that intro Zoom. Yeah. I, for me, I just love uh, when there's a chart and there's some traction, if you mm-hmm. have traction, uh, right. a weekly, a monthly, a daily, any kind of chart shows that you have some dexterity or traction and understanding of your own numbers. Uh, I love a good product demo. And I do think the short deck is a critically uh, important way to get people on the hook. You could have a deck that has proprietary information that's 30 or 40 slides that you do on a call right. or in person, but a 10 slide deck that basically visually represents what your website tells us and tells the story to a VC in a very efficient manner. manner it, it, it just shows you are meeting VCs where they are. You, you're yeah. you're kind of, I, I also love when people send me a loom. I don't know if you've gotten any of these where the founder actually walks in the deck to you personally. This right. is like the height of customization. So like, hey, Dave, I know you're in Airtable. We're doing something similar. We're making a word processor that's 10 times better than the existing word processors. And it's, a, you know, if you use Microsoft Word or Google Docs, you're going to love this. Let me show you Grammarly. But, right. And, mm-hmm. you know, like that is so savvy to take the time to do that because people, if you're going to do 100 outreaches a year to investors or during each fundraising, does it matter if it took one minute per or 10 minutes per? It actually doesn't. And the 10 minute ones are 10 times the effort, but probably a hundred times as effective or more than generic. So the founders don't realize what's happening on the other side of the inboxes, where people are sending 2000 word short stories about their life. And we're like, what what just it's pretty simple. Like, what is who is your customer? And what do you solve for them? What's the product? Who's the customer? How do you make money? Like, yeah. Keep it simple, yeah. folks. All right, listen. Well, I, yeah. and, and I will just say yeah. two other additional things is I think a competitive landscape is super important because we as VCs, we're getting lots and lots of deals. And so you as the entrepreneur, you understand your market understandably. But I used to think like, why would I list the competitors in the pitch deck? 
but it's actually super important. And typically the best one, I think, as you know, is like, you know, the one with the X and the Y, you're up in the upper right. And it just Mm kind of demonstrates how you're sitting in the market. And so I, I will just say like, that one is important to me because it allows me to quickly understand, okay, who's venture backed in this area? Who are the big players that they're going to take uh, real estate from? So I just mentioned that one also. Yeah. Fantastic. All right. Listen, Dave, uh, continued success. You're one of the hardworking, honest, great people in this industry. It's good to know you and work with you on a couple of deals. And please uh, send our regards to your partner, Jenny, and uh, we'll have her on another episode. She always does founder university for us. And she is. Yes equally awesome and so a great firm for founders to consider when they're doing that 500 to two million dollar check yeah i think that's the sweet spot we're i honestly we've gone a little bit upstream so basically we're typically Three between to two to you know two to Two to four. <laughs> two to four. Okay. Two to four. Two to, Not one to two three, to, two to four. Two to, He's like, whoa, two whoa, 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 on the five. Can I get whoa, you 2.5 to five? Okay, is that pop? No, okay. Two to four. Can we two, go to 4.2? Four two, two, four, four. Two, two, four, two, two, four. Two, two right. to four. I just have one closing comment, two, two, two. Jason. Oh, is here we go. Ten, ten, well, 10 years ago, I was I'm not putting a, on color. I'm not putting on a color chart if that's what you're asking. I'm not well, going to wear that all, shirt. Jason, you know what? I know we, I sent you this. And this is, it's black, but you know, it has our new logo. So- Maybe right, I will, wear that. Wear, I will wear that no, in an episode. I, I, I just have, I have one comment, which was 10 years ago, I was hosting a okay. dinner at, at, in Las Vegas. And I remember you standing up unprompted and you had a great hmm. um, comment about uh, what Freestyle does to support founders. And I will oh. return that because I appreciate your, your hard work um, educating and helping founders. And sometimes I say, Jason, why do you have to work so hard? And you know what? I know you love what you do. So I appreciate yeah. that. It's if you if for me, it's just like going skiing or having a fine dinner, like it's equally enjoyable to me to be here on the podcast as it is to be on the slopes and meeting with a founder I find just as joyful as having dinner with my friends. So uh, I agree. You know, it's Thank one you. of the great things in life. And, and it's a privilege. Let's be honest, it is a privilege to be a capital allocator and to, you know, I- the worst interpretation is we get to, you know, uh, make the decision on who the winners are and anoint them. Uh, and I you know, it, it, the, the truth is, we are lucky enough to place a bet and try to right. support people who are going to mm-hmm. be successful with or without our money. Yeah. And, and that's the humility I, I know you come to it with. And I try to come to with it every day. Never get high on your own supply just because you got a hundred million dollars to deploy. That's not privilege as much as it is um, a responsibility. You have a responsibility yeah. to deploy it intelligently for those LPs and for society. So, you know, take that for all these new people who are capital allocators out there, yourself included, Molly, like, it's heady stuff sometimes, and you really need to be thoughtful. And collectively, as an industry, we need to be thoughtful about who we're deploying this capital to and for what reasons. So mm-hmm. it's, it's top of mind for me right now, having dealt with some really gnarly situations. It's just very right. strange this you know this world we're in. The entitlement sometimes, the bad behavior, and then you know uh, all of that you know kind of fades when you see somebody really hit it and change the world with a great product or service uh, that yeah. creates joy. And so. It really is like, I don't make this into the Oscars, but I, 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 I don't know about you. I just feel like a great sense of privilege uh, and responsibility, really responsibility that I have this job Yeah, because it's, 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 it's really important that we get it right. I don't know if it, how you feel about it. Like ultimately this, this profession. Well, I, well, I, I guess, I mean, so I know you're a family man uh, with yeah. kids and um, I have five kids. And, uh, you know, I think we have family responsibility. And then, honestly, we're a little bit older, Jason, than many of these entrepreneurs we're investing in. 
And so, uh, you know, I think it's important that we um, help educate them and and help them succeed, similar to what we do as parents. So, you know, I think it's just important. I kind of tie that together. Yeah, no, I mean, you you have to navigate, you know, there are things that happen in every startup's life. And once you've seen it happen a hundred times, you're like, by the way, around that turn, that's where you could, you probably want to not speed and you probably want to be wearing your seatbelt and <laughs> be a defensive driver, you know, it's like you're giving these, it's like when you give the, uh, Molly, you're going to go through this, right? I don't know if you've given the keys to your son yet, but it's, it's coming. Stop right? it. Never. It's coming, Molly. You're going to have to hand the keys. Look at Molly's going to go like this. Molly's going to go like this. <laughs> She's, you're going to be heading those the keys over the self-driving soon. cars is all I'm saying. Exactly. Well, no, well the, the other benefit is understandably Uber and Lyft, where basically mm. we're, we as parents are able to kind of delay that slightly. Uh, ah, that's so, what I anyway. said too. I'm like, I can't wait to get you a an Uber account. Like, it's gonna be great. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <Team Uber. sighs> let's go. Yeah. All right, everybody. Dave Samuel. Dave well Samuel. Congratulations Appreciate on the race. Thank you. See you next time, brother. Hey everyone, producer Nick here. I want to tell you about the SaaS Syndicate. If you're a founder of a SaaS company with a product and market, our investment team wants to talk to you. Head over to thesyndicate.com/sas. S-A-A-S, to apply to raise from the SaaS syndicate. And you can join Jason's syndicate of over 9,000 accredited investors at thesyndicate.com. Producer Justin here. Know a cool startup? Check out openscouting.com, where anyone can refer a startup to our investment team here at launch. Even if you don't know the founder, if you're the first to flag a company for us and we decide to invest, you'll get 5K in cash or 10% of our carry. Hey everybody, producer Rachel here. Are you an early stage startup that has product and market, some traction, and are looking to raise at least $500,000? Apply today to Remote Demo Day for your chance to pitch to over 9,000 investors in Jason's syndicate. Submit your application at remotedemoday.com. Our next event is on April 27th. And if you want to learn how to invest in startups from the world's greatest angel investor, and no, we're not talking about Chris Saka, then head to angel.university to apply. The four-hour workshop costs $300 and all proceeds are donated to charity. To date, we've donated over $175,000 to various charities and you can see the full list at angel.university slash charity. 